is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. I'm Matt Boyle, our Washington Bureau Chief here at Breitbart News. Today we had two really great guests. First, we had David McCormick, the former CEO of Bridgewater Capital, who's running for U.S. Senate in the great state of Pennsylvania. We talked about Dr. Oz, his Republican primary opponent, and his dual citizenship with Turkey, which has become a major issue in the campaign. Dr. Oz has said that he's going to renounce his dual citizenship with Turkey. If a elected to the U.S. Senate, but won't do it right now. And then we also talked with David McCormick about what we have to do to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable and actually decouple the United States economy from China. happened over the last several days here is that Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, who was at one point leading in the polls, but not anymore. uh, He's trailing David McCormick uh, in the Senate primary. He's actually a dual Turkish citizen. Now, Dr. Oz, to be fair, was born in Ohio. His parents are of Turkish uh, Turkish citizens, his mother and father. And so he's therefore born with Turkish citizenship. And so Dr. Oz uh, is... is, uh, a, a dual citizen with Turkey, and he actually served in Turkey's military, which is required for people to maintain Turkish citizenship. Uh, and uh, he served in Turkey's military uh, uh, to maintain that. And he says he's been saying that he would maintain dual citizenship if he were elected to the Senate. That's insane. Like, by the way, we've never had that before in American history, where we've had a senator who was elected, who had served in a foreign military and had dual loyalties to other countries. Like it's never, it's unheard of. The closest thing that we can think of is that Ted Cruz happened to have uh, a a dual citizenship with Canada, but he renounced it as soon as he found out that he did. Like, so we've never seen anything like this before. It's totally unprecedented. And Dr. Oz was repeatedly refusing to renounce his Turkish citizenship. He did it. He was asked at a press conference uh, earlier this week if he would do so because it would threaten his national security. Uh, later, by the way, Senator Dan Sullivan from Alaska, on a press call organized by David McCormick's campaign, uh, uh, said that he's never seen anything like this and raised some serious concerns about, for national security reasons, uh, about Oz refusing to denounce his Turkish citizenship. Oz continually dug in multiple times uh, in the press conference, later in a radio interview, and in mu- multiple other instances. And meanwhile, his campaign was lying the whole time, claiming that he never said what he said. Um, And then he finally, late last night, issued a statement, totally reversed course, and says that if he's elected, he would renounce his Turkish citizenship if he's elected. Not before then. I don't understand why he won't do it now. Anyway, joining us now to talk about all of this and a whole bunch more is David McCormick, who's now, according to all the public polling, the Republican frontrunner candidate for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Uh, He's overtaken Dr. Oz's position in the polls. He's taken... Uh, a nine-point lead according to the latest Fox News survey, uh, even more than that according to several other surveys. David McCormick, thanks for joining us here on Breitbart News Daily. Hey, Matt. How are you? Uh, doing great. Okay, so this this whole Oz story with Turkish citizenship, uh, what is going on here? Like, this is the, the most insane story to me in the world. First off, I don't understand. We've never had this before, ever, in the United States Senate where somebody – 
served in a foreign military, and had dual loyalty. And Dr. Oz wanted to keep his Turkish citizenship until last night he now says that he will, if elected, not now, but later, if elected, renounce his Turkish citizenship. Break down this whole thing for us, because this is mind-boggling and unbelievable to me. I think it's one of the most amazing stories. You've been calling on him to renounce it for months now, and he finally says that he would, if elected, but not now. Yeah. What do you think about this? I mean, the thing, well, the, from the very beginning, um, it, it caught my attention and really raised significant concerns for me because he's not only uh, a dual citizen, but he's a dual citizen of a country that is hostile to the United States. It's Turkey. Uh, Turkey, which has a number of conflicting interests. And so here's a guy that was born in the United States that goes to serve in the Turkish military that has relationships at the highest levels of the Turkish government with the justice minister, with Erdogan, who um, has taken money from the Turkish government in in the last few years. He was the spokesman for the Turkish-owned airline. And then um, when the questions raised about how could you possibly uh, be a citizen of Turkey and a citizen of the United States while being a U.S. senator where you have the responsibility for the allegiance to the United States, how could that work? Um, he dismissed it um, as, a, as a non-issue. And so um, I ne- I've never understood from the beginning how um, this wasn't a huge issue for him, just as someone thinking through the Senate And, of course, we now see increasingly others are seeing that, that conflict of how could you represent the people of the United States on the most sensitive issues when you're also a citizen of a country that has hostile that is hostile to the United States. And so that's the nub of the issue right there. Now, there's a second issue, which uh, you alluded to, Matt, which is, listen, this guy's flip-flopped on a variety of issues. If you go back to his 15 years of shows, you'll hear his position on guns, where he was for um, a number of restrictions around guns. You'll hear his position on life, where he was uh, much more sympathetic to a pro-choice position. You'll hear his position on transgender and now all his positions in the campaign are very different than what he said in his own words on his television show. And, uh, and here we have another example of where uh, he's now flipping um, his position, but he's telling us that he'll, he'll renounce his citizenship only after he's elected, which, of course, um, I questioned yesterday. Why should we believe that? Because this uh, uh, Memedaz has a track record of, uh, of changing his mind and changing his positions and not being trustworthy on um, on critical points such as this. Right. So there's a there's a piece in the Washington Post by Josh Rogan. He's a columnist for the Washington Post. By the way, not the most conservative guy in the world. I mean, a decent columnist. I read his stuff occasionally. He does some good stuff on China. But um, uh, he wrote a piece back in February, February 16th, 2022. Uh, the headline is, Would Turkey's President Have Leverage Over Senator Dr. Oz? Question mark. And in it, he lays he lays out all of this stuff uh, that that we're talking about here. Uh, again, it's so mind boggling to me that we're supposed to trust this guy who's been all over the map on all of these issues. That if and when he's trusted with the people of Pennsylvania uh, to 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 go represent them, that he will at that point only after he wins an election. 
go and renounce his Turkish. I mean, it's so easy. He just pop on in after he goes and visits Oprah. He could go pop on into the the Turkish uh, next time he's up there in Manhattan visiting her. Go pop on into the Turkish consulate in 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 Manhattan and go and renounce his Turkish citizenship. He could do it today. Like uh, I don't understand why he has to wait until after an election to do it. No, I don't either. And which which of course raises questions. <laughs> what what about this issue is such a big deal for him? I I haven't understood it. And you know, from the beginning, uh, very very serious people, as you said, Josh Rogan. There was a, uh, a a long form article in the National Review yesterday. Um, Senator Sullivan, um, you know, who is uh, obviously a strong uh, voice on national security, have all raised this issue. It's it's a legitimate issue. It's one that he um, continues to not have good answers for, and and his erratic behavior and answers on this, I think, raise more questions. Uh, they don't, it, more, it raises more questions than answers questions. And of course, when uh, when these questions are raised, his response uh, is that this is. Uh, some sort of bigoted attack on him, uh, which is sort of right out of the Hollywood liberal woke playbook of when legitimate questions are raised, uh, then you and you don't have good answers, uh, you go on the attack, and uh, and that's what's happening here. And uh, and listen, we can't uh, we can't tolerate it. We have to, I have to continue to push on this uh, because it really is a critical question for the people of Pennsylvania, and I think it's a very appropriate and fair question for this campaign. Right. And and by the way, it's worth noting, too, that his answer has changed multiple times literally over the last 72 hours. Like, so as he's been started to be asked about this by reporters and, and during radio interviews and then the press statement that he issued last night, he's he's in a full meltdown. But the reason why this is important, David McCormick, is because – Look at what's happening in the world right now. Last year, we saw the Taliban retake Afghanistan in its entirety with Joe Biden's weakness, and they have all of our weapons and so on and so forth. We're now seeing Putin go in and take Ukraine, right? Like we're seeing what's happening there. We're seeing the rise of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, We're seeing uh, the Biden administration go meet with the Venezuelans, right? Like they sent a whole delegation down to go meet with the Maduro illegitimate regime down in Venezuela. Uh, the uh, Turkey's Erdogan, not much better than the rest of that crew. Uh, so the fact of the matter is, is that we have adversaries of the United States on the rise around the world right now. We need to have strong leaders in the United States Senate who are actually going to stand up to these people and are actually going to fight them. And we can't have people that are potentially compromised or We can't even take the chance right now. We're at such a stage in this society where we're, you know, I I don't know, maybe just months away uh, or or maybe even just a couple years away from a real serious uh, uh, standoff with the Chinese Communist Party. And and by the way, Erdogan is extremely close with China. He's been getting closer and closer with them. Uh, so uh, can you put that in context for us, why this is important in, in, in uh, you know, what we're seeing happen around the world right now uh, in, in, in what Pennsylvania really needs in a senator? Well, you, you know, you've, you've, you've said it well in the sense that the world is increasingly a very, a very dangerous place. Just imagine if you're uh, the senator from Pennsylvania right now dealing with with all those questions one classified briefing after another a number of complexities in terms of how to how to f- f- focus 
on America first uh, goals within the context of China or Russia. So it is a very dangerous place. And the frequency of these issues coming uh, to the forefront is growing. And it's a time when we can have people that need on the job training. Uh, and so if you've ever questioned the importance of not needing on the job training, look at, look at Kamala Harris right now, look at what it's like to have someone in one of these critical positions, like, like the vice presidency or like a senior Senator and, uh, and have them be so clueless on what's going on in the world. So a, we need somebody who's not going to have to learn on the job. And then second, as you say, we need someone who is, uh, uniquely able to advance American interests, not be compromised in any way, be willing to fight, uh, fight within our party, fight within the Senate, and fight for America in the world. And so if every issue has to be looked through the prism of how it might affect something other than the United States, that, that's really problematic. And, and so Mehmet Oz can say that, uh, you know, if, if, as a U.S. senator, he would be focused solely on American interests, but the fact that he has allegiance to Turkey, the fact that he is compromised by his financial ties to Turkey, the fact that he has served the Turkish military, all raises questions of how could he possibly, possibly be so uniformly and universally focused only on American interests. And so that's, uh, that's why this issue is so important, and that's why it's so important, putting aside this, this question on Turkey, it's why it's so important we have a strong leader there that can really fight for America's interests. And the case that I, I make every day on the campaign trail is, listen, I'm somebody who's a combat veteran, someone who served in the American military, someone who was part of, uh, of the Cold War in terms of bringing down the, the last set of communists we were opposed to. I'm someone who's negotiated with China at the highest levels of our government, someone who's had a track record of skepticism and who has been a hard voice on the risk of Chinese military modernization. I'm someone who's done business around the world and can uniquely understand what it's like to negotiate uh, with these key countries and someone who's an independent, someone who's an outsider. So I am uniquely able to, to start this job uh, on the sprint and ready to go and make a difference. And, uh, and that's the contrast that I think is so important with Mehmet Oz. Right. So now, um, when it comes to, uh, uh, and by the way, I think the people of Pennsylvania are starting to see this. We're seeing that in the polling data. We're seeing you in the lead. Uh, uh, a number of different surveys have shown, uh, uh, there's a couple of different public ones that show you leading Mehmet Oz. There's also uh, uh, some internals uh, from your campaign and a super PAC that's backing you uh, that have also shown this. There's been at least four polls that have been out in the last couple of weeks that show you significantly leading him. So I think people are coming around to this way of thinking. They're seeing this, your message is working, and Oz's is not. And and they, he's, that's why he's in a meltdown. But the aside from the Oz situation, uh, uh, we've talked about this before. We've had you on a couple times on the Saturday show uh, uh, at the, earlier in the campaign. Uh, I, I want to talk about the China situation because, look, what we're seeing happen right now with Russia and Ukraine, what we're seeing happen uh, with the what we saw happen in Afghanistan, all of this is a prelude to the bigger conflict that's coming with the Chinese Communist Party. They're going to try to take Taiwan. We know that. Uh, they've They've made that extremely clear. Um, you've called for, and, and here's the problem. We talked to Senator Rubio about this yesterday. We had him on yesterday's show. Uh, uh, he was saying that, uh, you know, uh, the problem is, is that when the day comes with China, uh, we can't sanction them as easy because we're so dependent on them for so many different things. You've called for a complete decoupling of the, the United States from 
the Chinese economy. And this is something we're seeing other senators like Rubio, like Senator Cotton, uh, uh, like uh, uh, I believe Ted Cruz has called for this, and Ted Cruz has endorsed you. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, has called for this. How do we do this? You're a business leader. You're somebody who's been in this arena for a while. Lay out for us, how do we decouple from the Chinese Communist Party? How do we get our economy to the place where we can build stuff here at home? We would not be in this position of uh, risk, where the risk is growing so quickly, where the Chinese are moving aggressively, without the, the missteps and the weakness of Joe Biden. And, you know, I'll, I'll identify two and then, and then answer your question head on. The first is Afghanistan. The Afghanistan uh, crisis, the debacle in Afghanistan, invited invited weakness and invited tyrants around the world to test us. And they are in Russia, in Ukraine and around the world. And the second thing was the terrible set of decisions around energy policy, because we were on a path, not just to energy independence, but energy dominance. And that energy dominance would, uh, gave us huge economic strength. It gave us huge leverage around the world and it marginalized Russia, gave us huge leverage with, uh, with China and it marginalized Russia. And the fact that we took the terrible steps we did on energy policy, which really was uh, uh, repressive to our energy industry here at home, her energy workers in Pennsylvania and around, the, and around the country, that decision also invited Putin in Ukraine. So that's the context. Now, as it relates to China, we absolutely need to have a whole of nation strategy. And, and it was, we talked about, it, I think there's four things we need to do. The first thing is absolutely decouple in critical industries that are significant strategically. And, and you, know, you and I spoke about two that are obvious, uh, pharmaceuticals. If you can believe it, our pharmaceutical supply chain is dependent on China, but also semiconductors. Semiconductors are at the core of everything. And 90% of the world's semiconductors are manufactured 90 miles from uh, mainland China. That is a strategic, you know, a terrible strategic set of decisions that led to that point. We have to bring those home. There's steps to do that. President Trump uh, and Mike Pompeo uh, had a, a great plan to start to do that. That's continuing where we need to build fabs uh, in the United States and around the world. And we need to double down on that effort. That's critical. And, uh, and be not dependent on China or Taiwan uh, for our semiconductor industry. There's other key industries as well, artificial intelligence, advanced manufacturing. We need to bring those home. And that's going to require the government to partner with industry to accelerate that because in China's case, they're deeply invested in these industries, and that's why they've grown so quickly. The second thing we need to do, Matt, is we need to hold China accountable for COVID, and we need to hold China accountable for fentanyl, which is killing people across Pennsylvania, coming across our open borders and coming into our country. And it's, it's a huge problem nationally. And the, and the reason that's so critical is China hasn't been held accountable. So we need reparations on the Chinese for both of those things, or we need to eliminate sovereign immunity. So the victims of COVID can can hold China accountable. We lost a million Americans and trillions of dollars of value. And that and that's a way we go on the offense with China. The third thing we need to do is continue the uh, trade that uh, President Trump laid out, the fair trade. I think there's parts of our economy. I think Tom Cotton and others would agree that we can continue to have relationships with China. They just can't be strategic. They can't be important. But we need to slowly wean ourselves off some of those economic relationships. But we need to do that in a way that's fair. Steel is a good example where President Trump put smart tariffs in place that I think makes sense. And the fourth thing we need to do, and this is really critical, is we need to have a review process to make sure no company, no investor is doing anything in China 
that's going to help build the Chinese military, modernize the Chinese military, support the repression of the Uyghurs. So it's a review process, a lot like we have an inbound review process, we need to have an outbound review process. And that's the first step to fundamentally transforming our relationship with China, strengthening our own capabilities at home, and putting us in a position where we can, uh, we can have the independence we need no matter what China does. Right. And uh, by the way, all of that sounds incredible. Uh, and I agree 100% with all of that. Uh, and uh, I think that's a, a, an excellent way to lay it all out. And the other thing I would mention is I'm glad you brought up the fentanyl. Um, I think it's the biggest story that nobody's talking about. Um, the opioid crisis is just tearing apart American families. Uh, it's coming across the southern border. Um, I know you visited the border recently. You're endorsed by the National Border Patrol Council, which, by the way, also endorsed President Trump in 2016, Duran and Judd uh, from the National Border Patrol Council. Tell us, how do we get that fentanyl crisis under control? How do we get the drug crisis under control? How do we get the border under control? Because combined with all of this stuff that we're talking about and the energy stuff that you talked about, I think that the uh, that's another core national interest element here uh, of uh, a crisis that we need to really take on head on. No, no, no doubt about it. When I... Uh... You know, I'm, I'm on the road here in Pennsylvania in diners and fire halls and uh, BFWs. I ask for the key issues of people's mind. Border, 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 border comes up as a top three issue every single time. And the reason is that uh, the fentanyl is killing people across Pennsylvania. We had 5,000 fentanyl deaths last year and many tens of thousands of fentanyl addictions and the terrible tragedy that comes with that. And um, And it's also because the border crisis and the open borders have led to a huge inflow of illegal immigrants in our sanctuary cities that's contributed to crime, a huge burden on our social services. So the people of Pennsylvania and the people of America are seeing firsthand, it's like the split screen on television. It's the border under uh, President Trump and his secure border policies and the border under uh, Biden, which is absolute chaos. I went to see it myself, Matt, and however bad it looks on television, it's worse. Uh, in the small section of border I visited, the Yuma section, which was 150 miles, it's gone from 30 people a day processed by the Border Patrol for asylum to over 1,000, and another 500 that they think comes across that sector every single day. And they're not, from, uh, they're not just from Mexico and Central America. There's more than half of them that are from Uzbekistan and Russia and other places around the country, and the cartels own that border. And, so, and they now see it as a, as a highway. To get fentanyl into the country, and then they get that fentanyl across our country into the Northeast, where 60% of our population is. And you know this, Matt, but the reason it's so problematic is fentanyl is very um, concentrated. It's not, it's not hard to carry a lot of it. It's very cheap, and it's highly, highly addictive, and it's killing our communities here. Um, so what we've got to do is go back to secure border policies. Uh, we've got to finish the wall. We've got to end catch and release we got to make sure that the borders are secure, back to the Trump policies. This isn't complicated. And then second, we've got to get law and order back in place uh, in our country. Pennsylvania is a good example of this, where you have a crazy district attorney in uh, Philadelphia, where we have the highest murder rate, crimes rampant on the streets, you can't go out at night, and, uh, and he's got a, essentially a catch-and-release policy within Philadelphia for, for felons. So we've got to be tough on crime. We've got to fund our police. We've got to go, go the opposite way of the woke attack 
on law enforcement, and we got to secure our borders. And in order to do that, we need strong America First conservatives in our Senate. We need to control the Senate and the House, and we need to get a, a strong America First conservative in the White House in 2024, whether that's President Trump or, or if President Trump decides not to run someone else who is going to lead us back in the direction that, uh, that had been set under the last administration. Well, well put. David McCormick, sir, uh, I really want to thank you for joining us here on Breitbart News Daily. David McCormick running for U.S. Senate in the great state of Pennsylvania. Sir, where can people go to learn more about you, get involved in the campaign if they so choose? Uh, Dave McCormick, PA.com. And Matt, thank you so much. And we're excited about where things are headed and um, I'm excited to turn the country around. Second guest on the podcast today was Congresswoman Ashley Hinson from the great state of Iowa. She really laid out for us the issues of the Biden administration covering up the border crisis numbers, the drug crisis, and all of these immigration and customs enforcement statistics. Former broadcast journalist before she was elected to Congress, Congresswoman Hinson really laid out how she's using that strategy of investigating to get to the bottom of what the Biden administration's covering up here with regard to the border. Congresswoman, thanks for joining us here on Breitbart News Daily. You bet. Good to be with you, and good morning to you, Matt, as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about here. I want to start with immigration. So you, uh, we had an exclusive with you earlier this month where you were calling out the Biden administration for refusing uh, to uh, reveal uh, immigration enforcement data uh, and and not answer, not revealing stuff that they normally release. They 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 normally release this information, but the the Biden administration, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, is covering up this information, uh, including specifically the. Uh, These are the following things. The absconder rates for those enrolled in the Alternatives to Detention Program, the number of criminals arrested by Immigration and Customs Enforcement with data sorted by crime, the number of Immigration and Customs Enforcement activities that resulted in convictions, the number of detainers by ICE, including those with a criminal history, and the number of removals conducted by ICE, including those with a criminal history. Now, Congresswoman, before you were elected to Congress, you were a a television anchor. Uh, You're a broadcast journalist. You understand that when the government hides such information, there, there's something going on, right? Like, what, what's going on here? Why are they not releasing this Absolutely. information? Why are they covering this up? Well, plain and simple, they're covering it up because their policies at the border are a failure. The administration continues to cut off our border agents at the knees instead of cutting off illegal immigration. And so you look at those numbers and um, the story tells itself, right? Illegal immigration is surging up. Deportations are down. And that is a direct result of the policies from this administration. We know that there were over 164,000 illegal immigrant encounters at our southern border in February. That's Of course, the worst February on record in more than 20 years. And um, again, we continue to see the reports of the dangerous sex criminals and gang members. So that's why I put forth the resolution of inquiry, because the administration has no idea who's coming into our country. And it's clear they don't care. So um, I'm trying to put my journalism skills to good use and try to hold them accountable. And so um, after delay after delay from the administration, I led this effort calling on U.S. Department of Homeland Security to release 
this information on how their lax policies are impacting immigration enforcement. And uh, again, while the administration continues to turn a blind eye to the crisis at the border, Americans want accountability. And we know those uh, those uh, enforcement efforts are way down. That's the data we were able to secure from them as a result of our resolution of inquiry. We know that um, the deportations are down because they have directed ICE uh, not to do their jobs in this case. Yeah, it, it's really remarkable uh, that they're they're not releasing this information. Uh, can, can, okay, so when Biden came into office, some of the first things he did in his first week in office was, in addition to getting rid of the Keystone XL pipeline, which I want to talk to you about energy in a little bit, but the uh, regarding the the border, he got rid of Remain in Mexico and brought back catch and release. Remain in Mexico was this landmark agreement that President Trump. Uh, had negotiated out with the Mexican government where all these people that were awaiting asylum and um, uh, refugee hearings and so on and so forth would have to wait in Mexico while they're, uh, they're, 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 they were going through their process instead uh, during the Obama administration and now again during the, the Biden administration. What they're doing is people show up at the border, they claim, uh, I'm claiming asylum, and then they release them into America. Not only that, by the way, Biden's actually flying them around on private jets to places all right. around the country. I, I would imagine there's flights going to Iowa. Uh, there definitely are flights coming here to Florida. Uh, there are flights going up to Pennsylvania. We know that. We've seen that as a major issue in the governor and the Senate races there. What did they do here that – and how do we fix this? Can we can we undo it? Is there uh, – right. uh, explain this for us. What what policy changes happened? Well, well, a few things. First, I want to talk about – you mentioned the flights into our country, and I think it's absolutely – bonkers that we have to have a conversation about uh, trying to tell the administration they shouldn't be flying illegal immigrants into our country, but that is exactly what they've been doing. So um, I introduced a, a piece of legislation called the Stop the Betrayal Act, which would stop taxpayer dollars from funding those flights. We know it's several hundred million dollars that this administration has spent to do that. So uh, that, I think, is step one, uh, holding them accountable there and just shining a light on what they are actually doing, flying not only children, but um, single men into our country um, who are here illegally. And what this all goes back to is last February when the administration uh, issued some enforcement guidance. So it really tied the hands of our ICE agents, uh, making it harder to deport illegal immigrants. They set out very lax standards um, as far as immigration or deportations go. And so we know that more than 50 percent of the ICE removals in the 21 fiscal year came in the five months before the guidance was issued by the Biden administration. And as we all know, President Trump was still in office for the majority of that period. So um, that is exactly why we needed to get this information, because they, they issued that memo uh, back to ICE agents in last February, I believe it was. And then um, we know that their lax policies are impacting immigration enforcement. And we are seeing fewer deportations and more dangerous people in our country as a result. Right. And so now um, uh, w w one of the things that happens as a result of all of this and this lax immigration enforcement is and not every person that comes to the United States is a violent criminal, but there are violent crimes right. that do happen. And these are crimes that wouldn't happen had we enforced our uh, immigration laws. The uh, and and the, you hear these awful stories of these angel families 
uh, uh, is what we call them, uh, where somebody is killed by an illegal alien uh, uh, that's in the country that shouldn't be here. And if we had been enforcing our laws, they wouldn't be here to commit said crime. Uh, so th- those are really particularly tragic crimes. Um, uh, the, we've seen several of these incidents in Iowa, uh, and, and they've right. happened elsewhere around the country as well. Um, uh, I think it's telling that Alejandro Mayorkas and President Biden are withholding information that would help you guys get to the truth about that in particular, because I think that they're afraid uh, to tell the story about the, the uh, or, or for those facts to come out about that. Right. They're turning a blind eye to the true stories of how illegal immigration impacts our communities and how it impacts families. And I actually, during my campaign, drove up to meet with a family. Um, their daughter was 16 years old and had been babysitting um, an illegal immigrant who was uh, arrested several times before, made his way up to Iowa illegally, of course, uh, was working with a road crew up in Iowa, and um, he feigned illness. And she went to assist him and he tried to attack her. Um, and I met with that family. I met with that young lady. And she is so resilient to have fought him off. She fought him off three times. But I looked that family in the eye and said, I would do everything I possibly can because I understand, uh, number one, the impact that this is going to have on that young woman for the rest of her life and, and the safety and security uh, lapse that led to the, the, the true assault on, on her body. I mean, she's going to deal with that for the rest of her life. Um, so I looked at that family and said, I will do everything I possibly can to make sure that this doesn't happen to another family or another young woman. Um, so that's why I'm so passionate about the situation at the southern border, because it does affect our communities like Waterloo and Cedar Rapids. Um, it does affect communities in Iowa. Uh, every state is a border state, and we need to make sure we're holding this immigra- uh, this administration accountable because it is 100,000 fewer deportations compared to the previous fiscal year, 100,000, despite that illegal immigrant encounter number surging. So that's why I'm so passionate about accountability here, because we need real solutions at the border that work to keep our country safe. Right. So now another thing that that uh, the lax immigration enforcement uh, which in effect has created a, a wide open border. I mean, anybody that wants to come here can come here from around the world. That's the message that they've sent to the rest of the world, including the criminal element, is the the flow of drugs into the country. Congresswoman, I, I you know, I think that one of the biggest stories that nobody's talking about is this fentanyl. Uh, and, and how it's just ripping families apart. I mean, they've laced the these drug cartels have like laced the fentanyl into everything. It's in cocaine. It's in marijuana. Yeah. It's and it's in everything that they're they're trafficking into the country. And the way that it works is they make the fentanyl in China. The drug cartel they ship it to Mexico. Then it's put in by the drug cartels into the drugs. And then the uh, it's it's trafficked into America by the cartels, and then it's distributed by gangs across the country. I mean, it's it's right. it's one of the biggest uh, things ever. I mean, it's tearing families apart. I mean, we're seeing uh, everybody knows somebody that uh, you know, whether it's a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, somebody, a family member, a friend. Uh, the uh, everybody's got somebody that they know that has been torn apart by this drug crisis, this opioid epidemic, this fentanyl crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's the biggest story that, frankly, nobody is talking about. How do we fix it? How do we stop it? Well, who's the president on the side of, the cartels or his constituents? And I think that's the question we need to be asking because you're right. These dangerous drugs are flowing into our communities. I talked with a parent whose 15-year-old has had some drug problems. He is terrified 
absolutely terrified that the next pill his son takes could be the one that is laced with fentanyl and kills him. Um, it is tearing apart families. I did a ride along with one of our Lynn County Sheriff's deputies in Iowa uh, on Monday, and we had a conversation. It's not just fentanyl. It's also meth, right? So they are trying to undercut our law enforcement. We need to, again, continue to give our customs and border protection patrol agents uh, the, the resources that they need to stop as much of this at the southern border as they can. We need to make sure ICE has the tools that they need to be able to deport dangerous people that they do catch out of our country. Um, and we need to be able to have the, the tools at the local level as well to make sure we're, we're able to um, stop as many of these drugs from flowing into our communities because lives and livelihoods are at stake here. And um, instead of cozying up to the cartels, we should be supporting the brave men and women who work every day to keep our border safe and keep our country safe. Right. Now, every, uh, the 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 sad truth of the matter is that Republicans are in the minority right now in the House of Representatives, but you guys are five seats away from a U.S. House majority. And uh, right. I think that we're headed for a pretty good midterm election. We'll see how it goes. There's a lot of promise out there uh, on the campaign trail. Uh, I don't think we should take anything for granted, however. Uh, and I know you're in a tough re-election battle. Uh, and, and there's, there's uh, uh, you know, many other members out there, same thing. And then there's a lot of promising battleground districts and so on and so forth. Let's say you get to the House majority. What are some of the things that the Republicans are going to be able to do if you guys have the gavels to get to the bottom of some of these facts and statistics and then ultimately make the policy changes? Uh, I think oversight is a huge factor of what you guys are being yes. able to do if you have the ability to issue a subpoena. Because so, here's the deal. Mayorkas is laughing at you guys right now. He's not answering your questions. He's not answering any of this stuff. The the the, the rest of them aren't either. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, e even though we need to get these facts facts out to the American public and the public needs to know about this stuff. They're, they're, they're not, la they're not following through on, on your request, but if you have a subpoena, then guess what? He's got to answer it, right? Like, so uh, explain that for us. What are some of the things you're going to be able to do on this front in terms of getting to the, those facts if Republicans are in the majority versus in the minority? Right. First and foremost, you're absolutely right. It is about accountability and it is about uh, actually issuing those subpoenas. And you can do that when you have the gavel. So I am looking forward to next year to, to trying to compel more answers from this administration. I serve on the Homeland Security Appropriations uh, Committee. And you look at the ways where we can help provide resources. We can. Our job is the power of the purse. Our job is to make sure our Customs and Border Patrol agents have specific resources to be able to execute and do their jobs. Same with ICE. So uh, the guidance may be coming from the administration, and I understand that we may have two more years of a President Biden. And I also understand majorities are they're earned. They're not given. So we are going to make sure we do everything we can in the next several months to continue to put uh put their feet to the fire, continue to ask for answers to these questions, um, put pressure on them. And the American people need to do that, too. We need to be asking these questions because, um, frankly, this is about safety and security and the Biden administration's policies continue to fail. So, so again, we will continue to do everything we can to put the pressure on in the next several months. And then once we have that gavel back next year and we finally fire Nancy Pelosi, we will be able to compel many of these answers from the administration. And I think once you put the sunshine on it, uh, the American people won't stand for these policies to continue. Right. Uh, Congresswoman Henson, uh, I know you're tight on time. So uh, where can people go to learn more about you and get involved in your reelection campaign if they so choose? 
Yeah. My website's just plain and simple, ashleyhinson.com. We'd love to have you engage in our race. Um, the DCCC did target me, so we know uh, we have a target on our back, but we're working hard, and I think Iowans know the person who's out there looking out for their best interests. Um, the mom with the minivan, we're here asking those important questions. And that's all for today. Thank you for supporting Breitbart News. And make sure you listen in to Breitbart News Daily. That's Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM 125, the Patriot Channel. Also, Breitbart News Saturday, which I host on Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And Breitbart News Sunday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, make sure you read Breitbart.com for the latest breaking news and analysis. Our team's working overtime. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.